Hi, my name is Matt Turgey. I'm the host and producer of the CJSR Edition. On this week's program, I sat down with Canadian author and journalist John DeMont. He's the author of the new book, A Good Day's Work, In Pursuit of a Disappearing Canada. It's a book that documents the stories of 10 Canadians whose vocations are vanishing in the face of globalizing forces. DeMont uses these stories as a launching point to talk about our collective Canadian identity. It's a topic that DeMont spoke so eloquently about and in such depth that we didn't have the opportunity to air the whole interview. And the part that we missed focused on the stories of those people described in DeMont's book. We still wanted to share that missing piece of the interview with you. So here it is. Well, yeah. then let's talk about four four yep. people okay. uh, that you describe in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, Marge Vino. Vino? Yeah. Marge Vino. She's a cattle rancher from yeah. outside of Hannah, Alberta. Yeah. Uh, she has a very, very interesting story. Yeah. She's got this sort of, it's like out of a Guy Vanderhey novel or something like that, really. She's, so she is, uh, Marge is mid-50s. She's my age. Um and she is. She has a great big whopping farm, <laughs> you know, cattle ranch up in uh, up in Hannah. She and her husband, her second husband, Murray, and uh, she, uh, which in itself is this, you know, huge accomplishment. You know, and it's growing and it's profitable, I believe. And you know, so it's. And I know it's not easy, so that's notable. But it's it's even more notable because as a young, like in her early thirties or mid thirties, her first husband died. Um, and Marge, they had a young daughter at that point. So Marge is left uh, as a single mom, rural Alberta, with a big cattle ranch, and it's just her and the and the you know the young the the toddler or whatever at that point. So and she managed to, you know, she to do it to make it work. And she's got a great daughter who's launched in her life and all that. So it's just a sort of Great story, but it, it it goes full circle because her grand Marge's grandfather um, died back in the twenties, and uh, leaving his grand Marge's grandmother, his wife, to uh, look after. The, she was a, they had seven kids, so she's got to raise the seven kids in rural Alberta on a cattle ranch in the middle of the Great Depression in the middle of the sort of the dust bowl, you know, the winds, howling winds were ripping off the topsoil and stuff. So it's just this kind of amazing sort of tale of endurance, you know, which continues to this day. And she's got this great ranch and it's uh, part of it, I guess, is I'm just a sort of naive boy from the from a, an eastern city, you know, a small eastern city where everything is close together and everything. But I, I just was struck by the the sheer sort of grandeur of the land around there and this the stark beauty of it. It's like the north, of course, but, you know, way more, you know, it's it's prairie land, prairie grass versus, versus snow and all that. But it was, you know, it's truly big sky country. So I was just gobsmacked by just the terrain and, you know, merged this leading this kind of life of spectacular life of endurance and accomplishment uh, in this, you know, place doing essentially work that is, you know, harkens back to the cowboys and cowgirls, mostly cowboys, I guess, and the pioneers who sort of built this country. So it's just a great, 
in a wonderful story. She is. That scene where you're driving and, and it just opens up into this expanse yeah. and you describe one one person per 1,000 acres. <laughs> I, I found that absolutely isn't, incredible. Isn't that crazy? Well, you know, it's the first time. I looked it up afterwards. First time I... It was kind of gave me vertigo. It was just so open. And, you know, and there is, of course, this ailment that, you know, sort of fear of wide open space. I don't think I've got it, but, you know, I, I think I have a, had an inkling of, of what it's about. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, Marge, as you describe, has this incredibly difficult uh difficult life that uh, has been passed down and... It goes back in time and it goes forward in time. What is it about, despite the fact that she has had such a a difficult go of it? Yeah. What is it that keeps her keeps her going? It keeps her keeps her job taken. Yeah. Well, I think I mean the land is a big part of it. I mean, I think you know she's somebody who may well like you know animals. More than people in a certain way. I know she's a very nice woman, but I think she would say that of her own admission. And just she's so connected to the land out there. You know, when she spends her day sort of like, you know, she's not hiking on foot, but in driving around this wonderful place in her in her in her truck or on her horse sometimes, you know. So I think she's connected to that. It something about that land and that, you know, speaks to her as much or more so as these people like me who are just, you know, can't seem to leave the East Coast, right? Or somebody, you know, the West Coast or, you know, there's something about the land and the terrain. And she she's just deeply rooted in, I think, and she's deeply rooted and proud of, you know, what her, what her people have done. So she's that tradition of being able to, you know, uh, do the thing that her grandfather did, and her father before her. I mean, I just think she she just loves that being connected. I think she sort of anchors her in time mm. in a certain way, anchors her in a place and time, and it just really means a lot to her. Um, and, uh, you know, she just, uh, she loves the animals. She loves that sense of accomplishment. I mean, she's not somebody who's going to be taking up golf. <laughs> I don't think, right? <laughs> Neither are any of these guys, really. Or, you know, and I don't think I'm, I'm not going to be taking them golf either. So I think that's for probably one of the reasons I'm drawn to them, you know. I, I don't think your milkman will be taking up golf no, anytime yeah, soon. That's right. He'll be too arthritic, and yeah, he's just going to sit down and just uh, just rest, I think. Yeah, that is, he would be the one exception to things. Uh, I mean, he's he he takes his work seriously. He, you know, the the importance of getting milk out to people, and it's a tradition. His father, uh, Bill Bennett, is my milkman in Halifax, and his father was my parents' milkman before that, and he started out with a with a buggy and a, you know, a horse taking milk all around Halifax. So, so Bill, I think, is also the import of being connected to that, you know, a tradition. Um, you know, he's a different guy. He's, a, he's different than sort of the other ones. He's perhaps not as analytical about it all. Um, you know, he makes a pretty good living at it, and uh, I think that's, you know, that's a, a good thing for him. I mean, you know, as it is for all of us, but he uh, he values that. So he would be the least romantic of the 
of of the people in the book, and, the, and we look at it with the least romance. And he also has the hardest job. Yeah, he yeah. has a tough. Oh, job. it's brutal. It's brutal. You know, wow. I mean, I had to do it in sort of four or five chunks because, well, one thing, you're awake when everybody else is in bed, and you're doing physical stuff. You know, it's just like it's just so exhausting, and it's cold. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a man's job, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> Might have been easier in the coal mines, I think, actually. He, the way I read that that piece was he just sort of, sort of takes everything with a bit of a grain of salt and just sort of moves yep. on. That's it. Yep, yeah, he does. And he's just, I mean, it's it's problem solving. The whole day is, a, is problem solving, right? Because, you know, it's, a, it's all about you know, getting, you know, about time and keeping to the schedule and all that. And there's these little things that come up all the time throughout the day. And uh, so it's just a kind of frantic rush from the start of it to the end of it. It's sort of, it's stressful, oddly enough, you know, because you wouldn't think, well, you know, how stressful can it be? Well, but it's stressful, you know, that things are changing, the orders are changing and things screw up and People are upset if they don't get their stuff, you know, these restaurants and uh, stores and things like that. So it's uh, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard go. What stood out to you most about him? Uh, well, I just, uh, the toughness. He's a tough, physically tough, you know, man. You know, he's strong and, you know, like, uh, you know, he's mid-60s, but he's uh, early 60s. But he, <clears throat> you know, I mean... You know, you can see the miles. You know, it's been it's been a hard run, but he's a physically strong, tough man, despite the fact that you know the you know I'm sure he's got some arthritis and stuff like that. But uh, um, I guess that would be probably the main thing, and just the and the, yeah, the, so sort of hand in hand with that would be the endurance. You know, the ability to just push on. That uh, uh, where a lot of us would just you know I'm just you know I'm gonna quit and go, you know, walk across the street or find some other other job. Well, I guess Bill knows that there are no other jobs for a 63-year-old milkman. So, you know, he's he pushes through just as much as so many people have done in the in uh, they continue to do now with work. <coughs> Craig and Jordan are train engineers for yeah. Via Rail. Um and I think what stood out to me was that the immense focus that they have while they do their job. Yeah. Um, that that no iPod rule really yeah. stood out to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, describe them to me, maybe. Well, they're, so they're two very different guys. They're roughly the same age. Um, and they, you know, physically they're different. You know, uh, uh, Jordan McCallum is sort of a, a fresh-faced guy, um, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, almost cherubic, I said in the in the book, which I'm sure he's not happy with. <laughs> but but uh, uh, and you know, Craig is a bigger guy. You know, looks like he always has that. You know, a five o'clock shadow, and uh, uh, and they just sort of look. They came to the work different ways. Um, Jordan is just always wanted to be a, a an you know a train engineer just was always struck by the romance of it and was always going down to look at trains and, uh, you know, and not, wanted nothing more than to do that job. And went through great hoops to do it, you know, worked in Ontario for a while. It was the, the job market is not great. And then was out, out in Alberta somewhere um, for a couple of years and then was back, you know, and it's, 
and, and meanwhile, um, Craig is he's essentially a, a guy who wants to live sort of in rural Ontario, likes speed, likes going fast, likes big machines. Uh, so it's like, you know, you put them together, it's like, you know, a 12-year-old boy, I guess, in a certain way, fully formed. So they, he wanted, you know, it's more a job for him. I mean, he was driving a train for a while in one of the big uh, nickel mines in Ontario, underground train. So, uh, but he, he did find that too dull. So he needs some excitement. They probably both got, you know, some ADD, you know, they need a little, uh, they need a little zip. And, uh, but, you know, they're both aware that the job is... Uh, they, they feel very lucky to be driving um, the Canadian, the fabled passenger train, but they are also aware that this thing's not going to last forever. And they're aware that, it, you know, it's getting harder. So they used to be conductors. There used to be all these people. Now they, they have to do it all themselves. And, uh, and, and they make, the pair of them make great sacrifice to do that work because it's, among other things, you know, it's impossible to have a sort of normal life because it's shift work, but also you can always get called in um, and, you know, you're gone for days. So I think, I don't think, neither of them are married. And, you know, I don't know if, it, you know, it's been a couple of years since I talked to them, but, uh, you know, it's hard to have probably a stable sort of relationship. And, you know, you're never going to be able to take your son to a hockey game or not be able to count on it because they're going to... Uh, Saturday barbecue with your buddies because you could get called in at any point. You're talking about the fabled Canadian, um, and the train is so, yeah, is so iconic in can in Canadian folklore mm-hmm. because because of its history because yeah. it actually brought us into Confederation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you get the sense that they understand? Oh, the yeah. The tradition that they're holding. Oh, yeah. To. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're very proud of that. You know, and they can talk about it in a sort of romantic way, even Craig, who's less romantic about it than uh, than Jordan. But they are, uh, I mean, you know, we, the time I spent with them, we were talking about, and I forget what somebody said, I don't know which one, that, you know, this kind of the image, you know, the sort of quintessentially kind of iconic Canadian image of a sort of a train. It's almost like an Alex Colville painting, you know, a train... Uh, out there in the sort of vast savanna, you know, in the dark, you know, in this unpopulated, you know, on, on this on this uh, 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 trip, you know, publicity thing for this book, you get a sense of how unpopulated this country really is, but just this kind of ribbon of light out there, you know, and it's just sort of symbolic of the vastness of the place and the unpopulatedness of the place and sort of the lone, you know, there's a kind of loneliness to Less so now that we all live in cities, but you know, the, you, you know, I, I, when you think of Canada, there's, I, I do, you know, there's a kind of lonely underpinning to things, you know, because it's just so big and we are so few. Well, that sort of brings me back to that: what we lose as a mm-hmm. as a country when we lose our our icons. Yeah, I guess. that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, and so yeah, if we do, I mean, the train. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly you know we have three D printers, right? So if we can whistle up a whatever and just print it out, are you going to need trains to move? At, at a certain point, are you going to need trains? Are you going to need you know uh, 
container ships to move that stuff. You know, some of it, I guess, and probably, I mean, maybe this will never lead to anything, but it, it might be one of those, you know, huge turning points. And so, yeah, the train, then it just becomes sort of museum pieces, right? They're in there with the coal miner, the train conductor, and, uh, you know, the, the, the lighthouse keepers. I mean, and just used to be all thousands of lighthouses in this country, and now there's hardly any. I think there's 50, I mean, there's some, they're all, there's 50 or 51 that are manned, I believe, in, uh, in, uh, in Canada. And, you know, the others are just automated and there'll be less, you know, there's, there's less and less need for them, I think, you know, so. When we do lose touch of those icons, do you feel like we lose touch? This is a leading question, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Do we lose touch with our history? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, the train, it, it, it yeah, bought, it brought, brought us into Confederation and linked us, you know, from sort of coast to coast. And the uh, uh, the lighthouses are well, you know. And then we have the longest coastline in the world, or something like that. And this is, you know, and it's it's a, it's symbolic. It's a symbolic thing, right? A lighthouse, you know. There's this is kind of light that you know, unsure that you know, you're kind of it's almost like the Great Gatsby or something like that, you know, with this green light. But it's uh, so we lose those things. We lose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, are, will there come a day when the cattle rancher is no longer there, like Marge Vino, and it's all done in these great big, you know, f- uh, farms? And, you know, we lose it's sort of the rugged, independent spirit, you know, of a lot of this work and a lot of these people. And the fact that, you know, those, you know, the West, cattle for the West, and, you know, ranchers and that independent, you know, I think Albertans and people on the prairie say they pride themselves on their independence, right? Being this independent folk. And, you know, so you, at, at some point, maybe we lose that too. And that's, you know, sort of, that's the Canadian character, I suppose, you know, more than trains and lighthouses. If you could hypothesize with your experiences with these 10 people, how do they feel about their job disappearing? Uh, well, first off, they they are Stoics who don't give it a lot of thought. Or they don't, that, not that they're verbalizing to me anywhere, verbalized to me. I mean, they're aware of it. Uh, and their hope would be, not in the case of Bill Bennett, the, uh, the uh, uh, milkman, but, you know, most of the other people, I think, would, their hope would be that their kids are going to go, would go into it in some way, sort of honoring the tradition and keeping the traditions going and keeping the spirit going. But it's... Uh, uh, they're aware that that might not be the case. Um, they, their hope would be that somehow these jobs that have continued for all these decades and centuries would continue in some way. Um, and if, yeah, they, you know, clearly they would be very saddened if, you know, if if, if they discovered that, you know, they were the last locomotive engineer or the last... Uh, uh, drive-in movie projectionist, you know, in this country, it would be, it would be sad for all of them, without a doubt. Have your perceptions of these jobs, these this disappearing Canada, ha, ha, have your perceptions changed over the course of writing this book? Uh, yeah, well, a couple of the things I've talked about. Uh, evolved, were, were notions that evolved throughout the book. So this whole idea of 
doing something well for its own sake, this kind of, you know, aspiring towards mastery, which is kind of something that I've, you know, it's a personal philosophy. You know, you may not be evident in any way in my life, but, but it is. So I found it, I found it very interesting to sort of have that reinforced by uh, everybody I talked to, you know, that that, you know, it's the, cl- the cliche, right? If you never want to have, never want to retire, you know, find a job that you love. Never want to have to retire, find a job you love. So I think that, you know, that just reinforces to me the, the value of, of doing that in some way. Um, uh, and I think, uh, hmm, you know, some of those things that I've touched on about the kind of Canadian character. Well, you know, I mean, I've been around the country some, but I've never had to look, had to keep my ears open as much as I've had to here. So you learn a lot about, about you know, that kind of Canadian character, I guess, that's that's there. You know, this it is, you know, it's fundamentally a story of endurance and resilience, right? You know, it's not, seems to me, you know, it, despite how I fell in, back in 1967, it's not a story of, Canadian story is not about, you know, great, great triumphs and great winning of wars and stuff like that. It's kind of enduring in this, you know, hard place, uh, generally, you know, somewhat hard place. Um, so that, that, those characteristics have kind of were, uh, came to the fore, I guess, as I spent, spent time doing this. And also this, uh, certainly by the end of it, uh, the, value, and it could be just my age or something like that, but the importance of human connection, the way that, you know, we're sort of losing it and just how really valuable it is. Um, You know, I mean, it's just, you you used to be able to kind of walk down, well, you know, you just go out, right? When you're a kid, you just go out, there'd be, the streets would be alive, even a small street, like a place like Halifax. And now it's just, I just think it's different. I just think life is so different for, you know, kind of young people and and kids and all of that. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I guess it just, you know, makes me want to, in you know, the rest of my life, just be around more people rather than less. It's an odd thing. It's kind of just a personal thing that uh, that came up here. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't have any other questions, but I w- was wondering if if I could give you the final word. Uh, is there any enduring message that you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, I guess, well, you know, okay, a couple of things. It's, I think it's important to know that these people, people like this walk the earth right, that are in that book, you know, they're doing these jobs. And they aren't, you know, they aren't the great heroes, and it's not Wolf and Montcalm, but it's, uh, you know, all history is sort of the accumulation of these smaller stories. So I think it's good to know that these people walk through. So it's good to know that what they sort of stood for, and, you know, it's still, and 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 and, and the, the spirit sort of endures that, but that, uh, that trying to do things well for its own sake, that seeking out a uh, work that is meaningful for its own sake and um, and doing that, you know, the, the human connection, being, you know, not, not giving in to the sort of uh, just the dehumanizing way that you know, life can be if you let it. Um, 